Welcome to season three of the Jesus Said Love podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mills. And I'm your other host, Brett Mills. We are founders, we're creatives, we're entrepreneurs, and we're activists. We're musicians, and we love Jesus. We've learned a lot serving the Jesus Said Love community, and this is the space we'll get to talk about. Ever learning, ever growing, ever loving. So come with us and explore how we can awaken hope and empower change together to create more space for love. How you doing? I feeling fresh. You feeling fancy? You feeling clean today? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> fancy and clean. You showered? I don't know if I'd say fancy. I, I'm definitely pretty clean. <laughs> for the most part, but, um, I am excited. I'm, you know, we've just had a hell of the last six months, so I'm really tired of moving and I'm ready to be back in our home. And we have just, we've been through it the last six months. And so I think I've really been focusing on gratitude and I've been like amazed at our resilience. I feel like amidst everything, I keep wondering like how much more can we actually take and somehow like there's space, like how is there space in the human heart to hold all these things? I I just, I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful we can, can do this life together. And with our kiddos too. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get to the grateful part. I think I find myself kind of going, "Really, this? This really? is hard, babe. Like this enough. is, yeah, enough. You're in it. You're in it. But yeah, and here we are. We are still here, and we're bringing you our the very best that we can. One of our values around Jesus said love is that we show up, and that even if we have 30% to give, we just give fully into that 30%, and we let the 70% that we can't show up with go. And so... I should add, I should add, I have 50%, because I can hear out of one ear, but I have an ear infection in the other ear that just came on last night, so I'm listening in mono. Brad has like a toddler swimmer's ear right now. I'm like, two. I just went it's to the doctor. I got a sucker and a sticker when I left. I mean, it was like... To like that, so I, I'm only going to hear half of it well, today. But I'm going to bring. You I all am excited to have our guest on the show today. We are welcoming some of you know her as the Refined Woman. Uh, some of you know her as Cat Harris, and we want to welcome her to the show today. Woo! Hear the studio audience. So we are excited to have you, Cat, because we've heard so much about you. We've had other guests on the show that have said you got to get Cat Harris on here, and I'm like, okay, who's this Cat Harris lady? And then I see you you know, um, in different speaker circuits, like doing kind of the dating, the single, the, what is sex? What is sexual integrity? What, you know, how do we frame this out in a biblical way and all those questions and you are not afraid to tackle it. You also have an incredible podcast and, um, I appreciate the nuance and I appreciate the way that you are unafraid to get curious. So with that, welcome to our show. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, guys, for having me. And I love that you're showing up 50%. You got your baby swimmers ear, Brett, and then you have two two women's voices in your one ear. Let's which, go. Is that like every guy's dream just to have women's right. voices in their head? <laughs> 
You know, if that's funny you say that, that's all I've that's ever known uh, in my working life. I have mm-hmm. only pretty much worked with women. So, well, that either makes you. me really sensitive or a masochist, no. maybe. I don't know. Because you work with healthcare. <laughs> or <laughs> incredible, <laughs> because I'm one of six kids and it's five girls and one mm. boy. And my oh, brother's wow. the oldest. And he is the best mm. partner to his person because. He's like, I feel like you said this, but did you mean this? And I know you've had a long day. Do you need a bath? And he just, he knows how to read the room. He knows the nonverbal cues that I think go over most guys' heads. So I'm just believing that's how you are too with working and being around all those women all these years. You know, I'm married to a strong, beautiful woman and I have two strong, beautiful daughters and they help me. There you have it. Also, I'm drinking hey, throw coat tea as well. Cheers. So cheers Yours has a lobster camera. on your mug. <laughs> it does. I started doing this new thing when I travel. I either get a piece mm. of art or awesome. I get a mug. And this is my mug from Kenny Bunkport, which is probably the most like fancy town I've, I've ever been to. Did you go to the did you go to the yeah, Bush compound? I was the the friend I was staying with lives next oh door gosh. to him. Oh well, of course. And you know when you don't know your friends are rich. <laughs> yeah, and then they take you there. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're rich, right. rich. Some old and money. I, I was like, um, try not to be. I was trying to be able to hang with the rich people, but I was yeah, like, you did you cool. see that bathtub? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I I saw that last week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> Back when we were hanging out with the Vanderbilts and I just was like, how did I get invited on this trip? And can I get my mug? <laughs> a lobster on it. Mug, please? <laughs> with a lobster on it? <laughs> so that I can forever remember that I was staying a, ho- a few houses oh down from gosh, W. That's amazing. You know? um, okay. Well, Kat, we have a lot to talk about. But before we get into it, tell sure. our audience, if they don't know who you are, Tell our audience just a little bit about who you are and what you got going on in the world. Yes. All right. My name is Kat Harris. I run the online platform called The Refined Woman. And it started about almost nine years ago as a very mediocre style blog. So if you want to love me through my journey and see some really bad style posts, go into the archives of my blog. (laughs) And then over the years, that that space, the refined woman has really shifted into a space of storytelling, me sharing really everything from my life, from struggling with anxiety attacks, healing from an eating disorder in college to navigating the crazy and wild dating scene of New York City to asking really hard questions about what I believe about God and what does the Bible really say about gender roles, sexuality, what are the what are the narratives I was given growing up that I believed as gospel truth that are actually honestly That's from right. the pit of hell? <laughs> and so I I am a hard question asker. I am a person that ruffles the feathers. If there's an elephant in the room, I'm going straight to it. And so. I do that through my Mm. podcast, The Refined Collective. I do it through my book that's about to come out called Sexless in the City. And I do that through coaching a lot of female 
mm-hmm. single women in their season of singleness and all the things. And then I feel like I have to share this as well. I My other day job is I've been a full-time editorial and lifestyle photographer for a little over a decade at this point. So I got... I, I got my two things. Canon or Nikon? <laughs> I'm a Nikon girl. Oh. <laughs> what? Yeah. But not because I'm a hater, just okay. because when I landed this job with, I landed a job, which is a whole other story with one of the top celebrity photographers in the nation. And I didn't even know how to turn on a camera. And he was sponsored wow. by Nikon. So. I okay. learned on wow. Nikon. So you do hold some yeah. really interesting spaces. And I, I love that we're at a point in time and in culture where like you're, you're a creative. I mean, you're truly just a creative person. And so that like leads you out into several different branches, whether it's photography or writing or blogging or faith. Uh, culture, you know, question asking and wrestling and grappling. So do you have some sort of back? You don't have a background necessarily in photography. You, you learned kind of as you went, do you have a background in biblical Mm -hmm. studies or theology? What, what was that journey like? I do. I was a Bible major in college so I have, I think it's hilarious. I have a BS in BS. biblical studies. <laughs> I'm like, is my major BS? Like, to some it may BS? be. So yes, I was a Bible major in college. And honestly, I this might be a controversial thing to say. And I mean, I don't mean a ton of disrespect yeah. to my university. But I also, at the time in college, lived with, a couple and their authors and they had a library in their home that was, I call it the beauty and the beast library. And I would check out books from their library and I would sit down with Mm -hmm. Mary, the wife, and we would go through Wayne Grudem's systematic theology cover to cover Mm -hmm. for the fun of it. I was asking questions with them how do we reconcile the goodness of God with the presence of evil? What does sovereignty mean? And so I was going, I had this Bible background, but I was new in my Mm. faith in college and I'm a why person just like I am now. Mm -hmm. Well, why? Who said? Why don't we see a lot of women in leadership? Why am I told not to have sex until marriage? Why am I told as a woman that it's my job to uphold the sexual Mm. integrity of men? Why? And so I I feel like I got this really foundational period of my life where I was going to school and paying thousands of dollars to really wrestle through really big Mm. God questions and at the same time walk hand in hand with two of who I think are some of the smartest people in the world that really gave me awesome books and insight and questions in that time as well. But the interesting thing is I graduated from that major and went to the nonprofit world and kind of wondered why did I study the Bible? Why that it didn't help me get any jobs and then I got into the fashion industry. Still why did I why do I have this theology background? Why do I know how to study the scripture and the Hebrew and the Greek and context and all of that? And then 15 (laughs) years later, I started writing a book on sexuality (laughs) and God and have kind of come into this full circle space in the last five years where 
that foundation of education has really supported me in my journey of deconstructing and mm. rebuilding uh, a more holistic biblical mm. worldview. Are, are you an Enneagram person? I mean, aren't we all at this Don't point? Don't say your number. Oh, Don't gosh, say your number. Brett, okay. you're not supposed because to do we, this. Th- we're going like, to no. start doing this because we've no. done it a couple of times and I like it. We're going to guess it. her number at the it. end. I'm trying to like grow and not be judgy as a person because I'm a one. So I'm trying not to like call everything out that I see. <laughs> so I'll let you. I feel like there was a little judge judgment there, in that. There was. Response, I'm constantly <laughs> judging myself and then everyone else, <laughs> and judging Brett for wanting to play mm. that game. Mm. Um, so okay, so uh, I would love for you to guess what I am, by the way. So I can't wait to okay. hear your predictions. All right. Anyways, um, I I'm curious if this foundation, which actually is very much. Uh, akin to Brett and I's foundation in a very um, Mm -hmm. conservative, fundamental, exegetical uh, view of interpreting scripture. Um, And then you kind of get out of the bubble. You actually begin to experience uh, God or experience um, questions that arise that don't fit in that conservative Christian space necessarily. So, when you say full circle, does that mean your theology has changed? Oh, yeah, 100%. I, mm-hmm. Yes and no. I think my theology has become mm-hmm. more my own. And theology just means study of God. We're all theologians. And I think for me, it was kind of retapping into the tools I learned during that season of how do I ask healthy questions? Or I'm going to take that back. How do I ask mm-hmm. questions? How do I find mm-hmm. answers? And and how do I release? How do I release my agenda to getting airtight answers when often it's more helpful to ask the mm-hmm. right questions? And so my background in theology helped me on that journey. But I think one of the big dis disservices it did it did to me was I mm. knew a lot. I had a lot of knowledge. And I remember as soon as I graduated college, two weeks later, I moved to San Diego, California. I worked for a nonprofit. I traveled all over the United States, living out of a van, doing all this advocacy work. And it was the first time as a person of faith where I was surrounded by all people who didn't believe what I believed or had, in my perspective, very shaky or poor Mm -hmm. theology. Yet, everyone I met when I was living on the road was living way more like the Jesus Mm -hmm. I read about in the Bible than anyone I knew in Bible school, than anyone that I Mm -hmm. knew at my church. And I I met Mormons, agnostics, atheists, universalists who were living so much more like the gracious God that I read about in scripture. And that really challenged me because I felt like I knew the quote unquote Mm. right answers and I knew the right theology. But my life up until that point was just all about knowing Mm -hmm. the right answer. And I think 
that is so much of what I experience in so much of Christian culture in America and in evangelical mm-hmm. culture. It's about knowing mm-hmm. the right answer. It's not about mm-hmm. your heart. It's about playing the game mm-hmm. of Christianity. It's about who you know. Salvation isn't Jesus alone. Salvation is Jesus plus virginity plus are you accepted by the leaders in your mm-hmm. sphere of influence? Are you playing the game that they say that you need to be playing? Are you playing mm-hmm. by their rules? And so, yeah, I think a huge part of the full circle moment for me was realizing knowledge alone does not mm-hmm. transform. It's knowledge and experience. And it sometimes you can be right and also be really wrong with how yeah. you approach life. Oh, I feel that so deeply, Kat, because I have just wanted to cling to my rightness, you know, so much along the way because it made me feel good and it made me feel like I belong to a group or a system. Um, you know, it in some ways, like it's true, ignorance really is bliss in some ways because it makes things feel simple and like this system checklist that everything fits in a certain way. The only problem is like life doesn't fit like that. And, you know, we were handed those opportunities and those invitations to grow it. So I appreciate just even you being so vulnerable to say like, even as a, a Christian and a Christ follower that, it models such humility for us to say we can learn from the universalist. We could learn from the humanist. We could learn from the um, Buddhist or we can learn from other faiths and that doesn't make us bad. It actually makes us more like Jesus, right? So that's, yeah. that's a beautiful yeah. way to put it. Um, mm. Okay, so as you're on this journey and as you are kind of exploring, you're kind of coming into who you are in the world, what does it cost you as a woman to begin asking those questions? (laughs) It's well, first I feel as though I should probably share some of the questions. Yeah. Right. So one is, is my body bad? is being a feminist Mm -hmm. sinful? Was Jesus a feminist? Did Ephesians 5, when it said, wives submit to your husband, mean that women should stay at home and keep their husband's bellies full and sexed up and pleased Mm -hmm. in the bedroom? Is that what that meant? Why do we... Why are we still having the conversation? Are do women have a, a seat in in the mm-hmm. leadership rooms? So asking those questions cost me a lot of acceptance mm. in Christian culture. It it upset a lot of mm. people, and that was super hard for me because I want to be Mm. accepted. So I played the game for Mm. a really long time. I wore the fingertip length shorts (laughs) and the cap sleeve shirts and didn't wear bikinis Mm. because my body was bad and gross. I shut down my Mm. sexual desire because I was taught 
Your sexual desire is only within the confines of marriage. And so I shut myself down. I believed the lie that my heart is deceitful above all things. So I shouldn't ever listen to my heart or my emotions because they're always going to lead me astray. And so when I started challenging the culture and the system of Christian evangelical culture, of course it ruffled the feathers. But in that process, I I believe that I started encountering a bigger, more expansive God than I ever mm. could have imagined. I realized, wait a second, I am paying a really high cost by ignoring mm. my discernment. I'm paying a really high cost personally, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, as are millions and millions mm-hmm. of women who suffer most from these messages, especially messages from oh, purity yeah. culture. Who suffers yeah. the most? The woman. The woman suffers the most. And I realized I am actually paying a really high cost by not mm. questioning these things. And I finally I got to the place One of my pastors, John Tyson, calls it the crystallization of Mm. discontent. It's it's the moment of no Mm. turning back. It's the moment, some people might call it rock bottom, where no matter what, from here on out, you you can't unsee. Mm. You can't keep going the way you've been going. You have to do something Mm. different. And for me, that moment came when I hit a really hard breakup in New York about Mm. seven years ago. And I didn't have sex with the guy I was dating, but I really wanted to. And it was honestly a game of technicalities at that point. And in the wakes of that breakup, I realized I have no idea why Mm. I believe what I believe about God and sex and my body. I've accepted this script without ever doing my Mm. own research. So I'm not saying all of that is wrong, but I need to figure out for myself Mm -hmm. what I believe. I need to figure out for myself what the Bible says. And then I need to figure out, do mm-hmm. I give a shit if it does what it says? Mm-hmm. And so I realized, yes, it cost me. It has cost me to go on this journey, but it costs me way more for silencing myself and essentially for abandoning yeah. myself. Who, okay. So you've, I mean, man, I like want to dig into like all of those nuggets. I, I just... My mind's like, I got to get this. Um, you mentioned you mentioned gender roles. You mentioned being a desirous woman, uh, encountering your own sexual longing, your sexual appetites, um, that, the, that your body's not bad, or is it? Or what is it with our bodies? Um, mm-hmm. Is the heart deceitful above all things? Um, all of those questions that are curious, the phrase that, that we're taught over and over and over again is that curiosity kills the cat, right? Like not to be curious because it's going to kill you if you're mm. curious. Curiosity is what killed the cat. But we know love is curious because if we're not curious, I mean, no one does a relationship and never ask any more questions about the other person. We don't do that mm. in our relationship with God or in relationship with friends. We're curious because we love and long and want to be connected So that kind of curiosity is often really threatening to people because we're afraid, especially for us who are conservative and those of us who've grown up conservative, those of us who, I I don't know that I would consider myself conservative, but all that to say, I grew up that way. And, um, 
and I'm sure to some people because I'm in, you know, I'm a cisgendered woman in a heterosexual monogamous relationship that that would be a conservative value to some people. Um, Mm -hmm. but how do we express, um, these questions that you, that you're asking, not only how do we give each other permission to ask that who've not been able to ask these questions before might feel bad about asking these questions. What do you want to say to the woman or to the man who is like, I just feel bad even asking that I feel bad even Mm. going there. What is that? Yeah. What would you say? Mm. That's that. First of all, that's such a good question and I'm so glad you asked it. And the first thing that comes to my mind when you say that is I think of a yoga class I did years ago and the instructor goes, stop shooting all over yourself. And I was like, what did you just say in a yoga class? And she said, stop shooting all over yourself. And what she was saying is that when I don't allow myself to ask a question, to doubt to acknowledge where I'm actually at, where my heart actually is at, what I actually am desiring mm-hmm. underneath the shoulds and the sh- shouldn'ts, I, I shut down mm. my heart. And really, if I want to show up with agency, autonomy, and with authenticity, I need to give myself the permission to acknowledge first, acknowledge what where it is that I'm really at mm. right now. And then once I acknowledge whatever that whatever that is, whether it's I don't think my body's bad, even if I've been told that. Now that I acknowledge that's what the thought, the desire is, then I get to decide how I want to move mm-hmm. forward from there. And when we don't allow ourselves the permission to even look the question in the eye, we're shutting down part of what it means mm-hmm. to be human. And I and I think it also makes the assumption that God has a very fragile yes. ego. Truth. And I believe that God is does not have is not insecure. God is not doesn't have an ego that bruises like a peach. If God is God, and I believe God is, then God can handle Mm -hmm. my heart. And that's what God wants. That's the invitation is God wants my heart. And so if my heart really is at a place of whether it's, man, I really want to have a one night Mm -hmm. stand today. (laughs) Well, once I let myself acknowledge it before saying, well, I shouldn't want it, so I'm not going to think about it, that creates Mm -hmm. repression. And when we have repression, just look at evangelical culture right now. There's a reason why every other week a male yes. pastor is f- being exposed totally. for sexual scandal. Repression, oppression creates a pressure cooker and things yep. come out sideways. We have the, the reality is we've always had the permission yeah. to be honest. We just I think what we're not because we're afraid of being rejected, we're afraid of being judged, we're afraid of not having a seat mm-hmm. at the table, we're afraid of not being able to control mm-hmm. others. Oh yeah. We're afraid that there might not be a blanket answer for all people at all time and that might mean we don't believe in absolute truth mm-hmm. or God. 
And I think it it feels at least for me safer to live in the black and white. I'm like you. I really resonate. Okay, one plus one equals two. Okay, well that's right, and this is wrong. But what I find about Jesus is Jesus always yeah. stepped into gray. Yeah, he always stepped into gray. And I love. I feel like one of the people I resonate with most in the Bible is the father who wanted his son to be healed. And he asks Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus basically says, well, do you believe mm. I can do it? And the father responds, yes mm. and no. <laughs> I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus healed mm. the son. Jesus wasn't threatened mm. or offended that this guy was like, I don't really know what I think about you. Right. I believe you sometimes. And one of my favorite authors, Madeline Engel, I won't get the quote totally right, but she says, she said something like, if I believe for one hour every other day, I feel like right. I'm in a good place. Right. <laughs> I mean, we look at saints like Mother Teresa, who in, you know, in uncovering her journals after her death, questioned her faith, questioned the very existence oh, yeah. of God even. That would sound like heresy to so many, but here she was living the gospel and even questioning what she was living. And I just think that's, that's permission. It's beautiful permission for us. Mm-hmm. Okay, Brett, you're going to go with some questions because I know you have some and I've asked a lot. I do. I just try well, to let's start with to the bad body or sexual desire or, I mean, those are so, <laughs> our audience is going to want to know about this. Cat. What's up? It's my turn. <laughs> it's your turn. I was wondering. I know. I just see. Here's how this works. When we do this podcast, this is the way that it works: is that she comes in because she's a one on Enneagram. She comes in with a little bit of research and probably some prescribed questions and so on and so forth. And I am an eight on the other hand, and I'm going to go in the moment. I'm going to read you and I'm going to hear what you say. I'm going to jump on it. And so I've just kind of been sitting back like a cat, about ready to pounce. And there's about nine thousand things I've wanted to pounce on, and I don't know which direction. (laughs) I'm not really a pouncer. I mean, I don't know why I even use that word because that's dumb. You're like, uh, I want to take take this down. I want to challenge well, it. Well, so one of my favorite stories about Emily is that when she was in high school, when she was a senior, um, their church was, um, she went to a large church and um, and so they were trying to get all the True Love Waits cards signed because if they got a hundred percent signing, then they could go to Washington D.C. and deliver those True Love Waits cards to, you know, to the Congress because that means it's like real or something. And she wouldn't sign it, and she wouldn't sign it not because she wasn't a virgin; she was, but she was like, "I'm I don't have to sign a card to prove my purity to anybody, nor do I need to prove that to anybody." And then she got sat down by the principal and the you this and the that and the you I know, um, and they were like, "Emily, are you sleeping around?" And she's like, "No, I just don't have to prove to you that I'm not, and so I'm not signing that." And so it kept them from going to DC, and so or they just I, I kicked mean, me that, out of the youth group love, and said I wasn't a part of it and went anyway because they got everybody else's signature. True, true love waits was such yes. our our youthhood, I guess, you know, and I was Mr. Baptist boy, like to, I would, if that church was open, bro, I am there and I am, I'm large and in charge doing it Mm -hmm. and doing it right because I want to make sure that I'm doing what they told me to do. 
And so if it was not have sex by God, then we're not going to have sex. But, but, but don't tell my mom. We might do some other things. Get as close to that line. And so it, it's, almost like this, it's almost like this purity idea automatically sets us up for failure. Oh, yeah. Talk about that. How do, you, yeah. how do you feel that it might set us up for failure? Well, one, purity culture, first of all, what I want to acknowledge is I have so much... I have I feel like my heart hurts for people like Joshua mm. Harris who I believe Joshua Harris wrote I kiss mm-hmm. dating goodbye I believe that he was used as a mm. pawn in the evangelical agenda to promote a set of rule a, sh- a set of shame inducing rules to control a generation to keep their their ish in their pants and it didn't work and I, I read something recently that Joshua Harris had said, and he's since walked away from the faith. And he said, he said something along the lines, what do I do when my quote unquote most successful thing that I've ever done in my career is the thing I regret most? And so I just want to acknowledge that because I, I think he gets a lot of heat and I think there's a lot of people in that, in that movement that get a lot of heat. And part of it is like, yeah, rightfully so. But I do think that there were people used as pawns in a greater agenda. So what, what do I think... What was your question? Sorry, I feel like I got yeah, on that and then I forgot the, the question. Of, of purity culture, what it's setting people up. Got it. Okay, yep, great. So I think the biggest thing that the purity culture did is it said that our purity is something that I can earn, which under uh, that message underneath that message is that I can earn my salvation. I can earn my seat at the table. I can earn my purity through actions, mm. through works. And to me, that's anti-gospel. And the gospel says Jesus alone, mm. grace alone. It doesn't mean my actions mm-hmm. don't matter. It doesn't mean that there are not invitations from scripture to mm-hmm. abstain from certain sexual activity outside of the, of marriage but it's 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 using rules and shame to produce control and conformity as opposed to love and empowerment to produce transformation i think another thing that the purity culture did is it gave us messages like men are more sexual than women are and because boys will be boys, and since boys are so much more sexual than women, then it's the woman's job to cover her body and be modest so that she isn't the cause of her brother in Christ stumbling into mm-hmm. sexual sin. And that is one of the most problematic narratives of the purity movement, that First of all, that we have such a low mm-hmm. view of men. Thank you. We think men are so weak that they are just the sum of their mm-hmm. urges. They're so primal, mm-hmm. they're dumb, that they are unable to take responsibility and ownership for how they're mm-hmm. showing up in the world. I think that's mm-hmm. anti-scripture. I think scripture says, Genesis 1, that humans were made in the image of God. And that means female and male. And that means we have equal dignity, value, and worth. And so when we 
put the sexual integrity of men on the shoulders of women. It silences women. I believe that it promotes rape culture. I believe it disempowers women from communicating healthy Mm -hmm. consent. And I believe that it makes the woman wrong for merely existing Mm -hmm. and breathing. And that is a crushing weight to bear. Mm -hmm. And do you also, I want to, I'm I'm jumping because something you said earlier resonates with that in that, that this idea with purity culture, that you're, what you're desiring is bad. Your body is, can't be trusted. You cannot Mm -hmm. trust this body with, with the urges and the longings and the things that it's wanting to do with whom. So, you know, shut it down, but, um, it does expose the cracks in learning as you live and grow. I think, um, this idea of goodness in our bodies, mm-hmm. you know? And so yeah. how do you, yeah. How do you talk about that? I think in the church where yeah. there's so much that we're taught not to trust of ourselves. Yeah. Well, first I think let's go to the verse Jeremiah seventeen nine that says the heart is deceitful mm-hmm. above all things. What is really being mm-hmm. said there? We're operating out of, we're operating out of a Bible that has been translated for, uh-huh. 2000 years yeah. what 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 was the original intent what was the original word used there it's not saying my heart is bad my emotions are bad the text is real the hebrew is is talking about mm. motive yeah my motives can be mm. so off my motives beneath the motives can be so off that i can even lie to myself about mm. what my motives are mm-hmm. That's what this text is about, is to be aware of what, what's the driving force underneath mm-hmm. the driving force. So I think it's, it's, it's going there. I think what happened somewhere along the line is we started the God story in chapter three with the fall mm-hmm. of Adam and Eve when sin entered the world. And that's the beginning of the story from now on. But chapter one and two mm-hmm. still happened. And chapter one starts with God exhaling creation into existence and saying creation is good. And then the climax of creation, pun intended, (laughs) hello, is the creation of humanity. And God does something distinct Mm -hmm. with humans. God says, let us, God, spirit, son, make humans like us. So that's not pantheism. It's not saying we're making little gods everywhere. It's saying the God image, the divine spark will be in every Mm -hmm. single human being and every single human being, regardless if they ever know or acknowledge God has the God image in them. And, and not only did God say that humans are good, he said humans are very good. So what God, let's just go to the text and see what it does and doesn't say. God doesn't say, well, the mind is good, but the spirit is bad or the spirit is good, but the body is bad, or, or your hand is good, but when guys get turned on and that's what happens, well, that was the devil's idea. No, God created humans holistically and said that humans are very good. So that means that who I am is a child of God, and that means my sexuality is a part mm-hmm. of being human 
It's not who mm-hmm. I am. It also means that we're not we're actually not buying into what Gnostic mm-hmm. dualism says that the body is bad and the spirit is good. No, we're be- we're believing what the scriptural invitation is that we are mind, body, spirit created in the, in the mm-hmm. image of God. So in that sense, God doesn't create bad things. So from the get-go, I breathe, I exist, I am good because I am made in the image of God. And so my body, therefore, is a manifestation of the expression of God's goodness and his creativity. That means my sexual desire is a manifestation and can point to the glory of God regardless of my relationship status. It also means that if the biblical invitation is to not have sex outside of marriage, that there has to be a difference between sexual desire and desire Mm -hmm. for sex, Mm -hmm. which means there has to be a way to embrace my sexuality and desire in a way where I am able to stay connected to my heart, my body, my values, my theology, my God, and still get to walk that out mm. in integrity. Mm. Whether or not I have a diamond ring on my finger. Is there a difference? Be- Scandalous. <laughs> Is there a difference when you are... I think that when we think about sexuality, this has been one of my questions that I've had to grapple with is we've looked at um, sexual exploitation and we've, we've worked, of course, alongside and known and love so many women um, who have worked a- around um, the selling of sex. So my question is, when we talk about sexuality, we usually talk about it like you know, intercourse or having sex. But is our sexuality more than just the desire for intercourse or the desire for um, orgasm? Is our sexuality more than that? Yes. 100%. What a disservice we are doing to people by believing a message and narrative that says sexuality is sex. Says who? (laughs) Says who? That's why I said there's a difference between sexual desire and desire for sex. I read a book by Mm. Deborah Hirsch. And in this book, she references this other woman, Marva Dawn. And Marva Dawn says that there's social sexuality and genital Mm. sexuality. And genital sexuality is obviously sex, physical intimacy, genitals touching, but social sexuality is this idea that there, there is a desire in every single human being to get outside of themselves and connect with lowercase mm. o others, mm. so other humans. So sexuality, at it, it, when we look at it from a more zoomed out perspective, is the desire that I have, you have, we all have to be in relationship with mm-hmm. other people. I don't think we're... Genital yeah. sexuality. I don't. I don't think. I don't. I don't think that's the message, Cat. Sorry. Uh, no, you know, it's not. Some people are just going to turn the mic off when they hear you say that because it's like, okay, so then, um, what about platonic relationships? Um, should we, you know, yeah. encourage those? Um, should we? Yes, one hundred percent. Can you really be friends with the opposite sex? Um, I, I sure, sure hope, hope so. so. <laughs> if not. Why would, well, Jesus was. I know. I mean, Jesus 
could have revealed himself to anyone in any way when he was resurrected. He chose to meet alone in a garden, a place where lovers rendezvous with his friend Mary. That would have been Well, have you seen Bridgerton? And provocative. Alone in the garden? Yeah, I've seen Bridgerton. I mean, mean, yes, alone in the garden. Right. Jesus was unthreatened by the cultural Mm. norms put Mm -hmm. on gender roles. And Jesus spent time alone with the woman at the well who was considered probably to be a a Mm -hmm. loose woman. And she was a Samaritan. So not only was she this sexually scandalous, she was Mm -hmm. dirty by Mm -hmm. Jewish standards. But Jesus meets alone with her in the middle of the day, sits next to her and offers friendship and dignity Mm -hmm. and kindness. We sure as hell better be able to be friends with the opposite sex. And what what a small belief to think that any interaction between a man and a woman will only eventually yep. lead to the bedroom. Well, and and that it's going to be the man who mm. does that. Right. Going back to what we've already talked about, mm-hmm. that the man is the supercharged sex monster and women do not have a sex drive whatsoever. That That's what I also find interesting about this modesty thing. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we, you know, at youth camp, girls, single piece, you wear a t-shirt, cover yourself up, but guys, run around in your little chubby shorts and your, you know, your schlong is outlined and we can see it and your drop quad and all that kind of stuff and your abs. And the assumption in that is, is that girls don't lust. That's right. So, so we, need, we need women to control the men's lust, but we assume that women don't lust either or yeah. have any sort but, of sexual but desire. Or yeah. running around in bathing suits is not about sexual desire. I mean, that's, that's even your question, Brett, is exposing the fact that we've put play, like, like natural play to jump in a swimming pool, to not have to wear um, full robes or cumbersome clothing while we do that. We've already sexualized just the sport of play, athletics, you know, um, it's, we've sexualized the body from the get go instead of humanizing it, you know? Yeah. And, and there's a, there's a conundrum that women have in this conversation that men Mm -hmm. simply don't. And, and I'm not like a man hater. Like Mm -hmm. I love men. I think the future is like a Mago day men, humans walking forward hand in hand. I'm not like futures, female Uh F the dudes. But the thing is, is that like you said, Brett, as women were told, we're not sexual, right? And I'll, I'm going to read a, a quote from Peggy Orenstein. She wrote the book mm-hmm. Girls and Sex. She's a New York Times author or journalist. And she says, we live in a world of mixed messages, a world where women are hypersexualized from the time we're toddlers. Only girls' fashions urge body consciousness at the very youngest ages. Preschoolers worship Disney princesses, characters whose eyes are larger than their waists. No one is trying to convince 11-year-old boys to wear itty-bitty booty shorts or bare their bellies in the middle of winter. The pressure on young women to reduce their worth to their bodies and to see those bodies as a collection of parts that exists for others' pleasure and to continuously monitor monitor their appearance is a reality for women that no man will understand. 
And so all at once, I am not sexual, but I'm inherently too sexual. And then I'm hypersexualized. And it's, it, it makes, it's yeah. a gridlock. It's like, yeah, guys are hypersexual. But then at the same time, Brett, what do we say when got, a lot of guys take advantage of girls? Well, she was asking for it. Yeah. She shouldn't have been wearing mm. XYZ. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So and, it's my fault that you're too sexual and I am not sexual and too sexual all at once and hypersexualized. Yeah, it's it is when you when you frame it that way, it is really wacky to think about because you're right. It's like you're not supposed to you're supposed to dress such that I won't lust. And mm-hmm. if then if I rape you, well, you were mm-hmm. dressed that way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that just communicates that, you know, yeah. you wanted it. Yeah. Versus no, I was just wearing short shorts because mm-hmm. I like short shorts. That has or zero it's hot to do, outside. <laughs> that has zero to do with you putting your penis in me. I right. also think that you know, right. you know your point, Kat, about um, like if I could really accept that my body is good, that my body is going to change. You know, as I'm middle age, you know, I'm 43 now. My body's very, excuse me, very, my voice clearly too is very different. Um, And my body's different. It's morphing, it's transforming, it's changing. Seasonally, it changes. But if I can accept that it's good, it also feels really brazen for me to accept that I can, that it's even okay for me to feel good in a bathing suit to feel good in Mm -hmm. whatever it is I want to wear, like to have that kind of um, not just agency to choose what I want, Mm. but the, the audacity to call it good and to feel Mm -hmm. that in my own skin feels like something that growing up in a more conservative home where things were a little bit boxed in um, or culture, I should say where things were so boxed in, Mm -hmm. it felt like that was so wild and feminist and dangerous. And it, it means the destruction of families. It means if, if Mm -hmm. I, if I let go, if I really embrace feeling good about my own goodness, beauty, whatever in my body, that it means I'm not choosing the good thing, which is to be, I don't know, more shameful about my appearance. Like that modest mm-hmm. meant like hiding, like little mousy modest, kind of shrinking mm-hmm. back a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's super problematic about that is we hear invitations from Jesus, like love your neighbors as Mm. yourself. The assumption underneath the ability to even be able to love Mm. another person is that I first love Mm -hmm. myself. It's similar to the air mask Mm -hmm. thing in the airplanes. Before you get put oxygen on someone else, put it on yourself. If I don't accept my body, if I don't love and accept myself, receive God's love, uh, receive the truth that I am worthy, that I am enough, that 
I have purpose, calling, all of that. I can't ever really fully love and accept mm. other people because I can only give what what mm. I have. You know, we say out of the overflow of the the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, out of that same, we can only give out of what's overflowing out of us. And so if I think my sexual desire is gross and disgusting and pleasure is ugh, gross and sinful, mm. then what makes me think that a ring on my finger and some vows will make me feel more accepting of my partner's mm. sexual desire. If I think my sexual desire is gross and disgusting and my body's gross and my mm. private parts are gross and ugly mm. and, ugh, and they mm. smell weird, then how will I ever in turn be able to fully accept my partner's mm. desire? You know, it's so interesting. And that, that was always one of the biggest things I, about, you know, we'll just say true love waits. True love waits so you get married. It's like the day before you get married, it's all bad, 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 don't do it, it's sin. Mm-hmm. And then you go through a ceremony, and then all of a sudden, the 20 plus years that you were indoctrinated, all of a sudden, it's okay and anything goes. Yeah. That's a lot for someone to reconcile. Mm-hmm. Like, Mine's grew. We need some serious <laughs> therapy in that. Yeah. Because... Because you're right, you have a you have a woman who has been taught don't cause a man to lust and you know cover your body, and now all of a sudden, now it's his, <laughs> and it's even phrased that way. And your body is his. <laughs> oh, so I guess when we get married, we yeah. lose agency over mm. our bodies. Yeah. I mean, some women do, it's, right? That's wacky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a quote that I have in my book by this guy, Butch Hancock, who I honestly don't even know who he is. But he said, life in Lubbock, Texas taught me two things. One is that God loves you and you're going to burn in hell. The other is that sex is the most awful, filthy thing on earth and you should save it for someone you love. Where did you find that quote? Wow. Butch. I don't even remember, but I saw it. I yeah. always have a, I'm the person that I need books yes, in print too. and I'm always dog earing. So I'll be like, oh, there's this quote in this book. And I, yeah. Okay. I have, a, I, have, I have a question. I have a question. Let's, let's because I know that uh, we, I get asked this a lot when I talk on some of these topics and I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Um, and it's around the issue of mm-hmm. masturbation. Love talking um, about masturbation. I, I love that you love Here's that. Here's the thing. I remember being told by a youth pastor, um, if if you are if you are thinking about the next opportunity you have to masturbate, you might be a sex addict. Oh wow! Maybe he's a sex mm. addict who said mm. that. <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't know, but I, I as an as a forty almost forty five year old man, I still remember that that yeah. he taught me. And but yet, is it masturbation kind of a natural thing? What do you think like, about masturbation, Kat? Oh my goodness! Well, I have a a whole course okay. on this. <laughs> um, but I think the let's first ask: Is pleasure sinful? And I let's. I don't think so because God created taste buds. Brownies don't have to taste good, but they do. Music does not have to stir something within us, but it does. The only function of the female clitoris mm-hmm. is pleasure. Mm-hmm. And God yeah. made it that way. 
And so I think with the conversation around pleasure, I think implicit in scripture, we can see that it is a good thing. I mean, you have the book Song of Songs in the Old Testament, which is a book that was so erotic that many Hebrew boys were not allowed to read it until mm-hmm. they came of age. And some Jewish Jewish educators told their people not to read Song of Songs until they were 30 years old. It was It's mm. that erotic. And the, the book opens with the bride saying, let mm. him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth and let him go mm. to my garden and <laughs> feast. Right. So she is giving it. informed and enthusiastic yeah. consent. And she's saying, I want you to yes. go down on me because that feels right. good to me. And I know what right. feels good to me. So we see mutual pleasure, mutual satisfaction in the marital bedroom and something about it actually even points to Mm. the divine. One of my favorite quotes, it's the author is unknown. I'm like, sure, wish I knew who said it. Uh, It's as he says, the only problem with being an atheist is you have no one to talk to when you (laughs) orgasm. (laughs) That's so funny. So, just what here's a couple thoughts that I think about self pleasure and masturbation. Is it possible that just as other aspects of pleasure can point me to the divine, whether it's eating a good meal, enjoying a sunset, going to a concert, having sex with my spouse, is it possible that exploring and getting to know my body and what feels good sexually could also be a beautiful and mm. God honoring thing? Is it, is it, would it could it be a win for me, like the bride in Song of Solomon, that if I knew my body and what feels good and what doesn't work, that it would actually empower me to show up with agency in in my sexual mm-hmm. encounters, that I would then be able to show up with informed and enthusiastic mm-hmm. consent. Could it be could self-pleasure be a beautiful way that you and your spouse explore mm-hmm. your sex life? I.e., what if you guys mm-hmm. are both out of town and you want to have mm-hmm. some phone sex? And a lot of my friends have told me some of the most intimate moments in the bedroom are when both of both them and their partners are mutually mm-hmm. masturbating. What do, what do we do with texts like Mark 12, 31, love your neighbor as yourself? <laughs> like I said earlier, if I can't accept my desire and think my pleasure and genitals are bad, how will I ever accept my spouse mm-hmm. or partners? I think of things like Matthew 8, 18, 3. The invitation of Jesus is to become like little mm-hmm. children again and to, be, to have that childlike awe and wonder. Now, I remember masturbating mm-hmm. as a little kid and it having nothing to do with sex or mm-hmm. fantasy, fantasy or lust or porn, but being in the hot tub and feeling <laughs> those water jets and being hey, like, whoa, something's alive. Something happens and that <laughs> feels good. I didn't know about sex or orgasm. I just knew when something Mm -hmm. happens down there at a certain pressure, it feels Mm -hmm. really good. So if it's possible to experience orgasm as Mm -hmm. children and it be in innocence, is it possible that we could receive that invitation to become like Mm -hmm. children again and, and to connect with innocence? Now, I think when masturbation can become unhealthy is when, and I think this with any aspect of self-pleasure, is when the self-pleasure turns into the lifestyle. So just like, you know, enjoy that brownie, eat that brownie, eat it to the glory of God. But if you have 15 brownies, you're going to get sick. Or if you're a diabetic, like (laughs) maybe choose something, you know, better. Right. 
One glass of wine, awesome. Maybe even two Mm -hmm. or three glasses of wine. 10 glasses of wine, two bottles of wine, you might have yourself a problem. Now, if self-pleasure is keeping me out of real life Mm -hmm. relationships, C.S. Lewis calls this uh, coming to love the prison of the harem Mm -hmm. within. The harem within is ever adoring and doesn't ask you if you paid the light bill or if you did the dishes. And so if is masturbation keeping me from relationships Mm -hmm. with other? Is masturbation keeping me from putting myself out there Mm -hmm. in real life? I.e., have I gotten so good at scratching my own itch that I don't have the gumption inside me to put myself out there to enter into a real life relationship with mm. another person. Is masturbation keeping is masturbation pointing me to fantasy land or mm-hmm. porn or addiction? Then maybe it's mm-hmm. not a win for me. But I I truly believe that God is for our pleasure and for our hearts and our growth and development. And so that means whatever realm you're participating with pleasure in, whether it's a sunset or a sex with your spouse or even, yes, masturbation, that it can have the opportunity to point us to God. But but in that, we need to be mm-hmm. mindful of, what, of the context of it and I think also moderation. Just like, yeah, masturbation can be this beautiful, amazing healing experience. And just like one or two, a couple glasses of wine can be a beautiful healing experience between people. It can also mm-hmm. get unhealthy. And I think the other question is, well, you know, okay, so if you have, why would you ever masturbate if it could lead you to porn addiction? Well, it seems like even though alcoholism and addiction is a possibility, Jesus still turned water into wine. I think it just means that we get to use discernment and wisdom and also have space for each other to figure it out on our own journeys. Brett, you probably can have way more drinks than I can. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> you're, you're mm-hmm. a man and you have more body mass than me. And so your threshold might be different than mine. So I could go mm-hmm. on and on about masturbation, but those are my thoughts summed up in mm. in a few, a lot of questions so, <laughs> and a few thoughts. Yeah. I, I think for some of our listeners who especially um, are coming from a, a place of maybe being parents and, and in the culture that we're living in, there's just a lot of fear surrounding online porn and sexuality mm-hmm. in general. The sex conversation has always been yeah. traditionally hard for parents to engage with. And I think that's because we haven't engaged yeah. our own sexuality in a really healthy way because just Mr. Yeah. Rogers, every anything mentionable is manageable, right? I mean, when we can put language mm. to what we're feeling, then we're able to manage that in community. Um, and so I think what you've done is you've just given some permission for parents to rethink what they're so afraid of, um, for, Mm. for people, uh, singles to rethink, um, the, their own repression. And, and that is a, that is a beautiful permission to go. Has God put in me, the, not just the desire, but the ability to enjoy pleasure. And mm. so that I don't have to jump at every opportunity for a hookup that I see. Like, wow, what an invitation to satisfy in a holy way. Mm. And I just, I don't, mm. I don't think we've framed the conversation that way at all. 
It just, it, it yeah. feels very new to yeah. me. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about you, Brett, but that, well, that felt new. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts, Brett. On masturbation. Well, just what do you think? Yeah, about or that? any any thoughts of yeah, what I just shared. No, I mean, I I think yeah. No I, or I, yeah. Because you just said no, yeah. I did. I did. I realized I did that. Don't no, call me out. I mean, yeah, no, no, yeah. Yeah, no. No, I think. Um, I think when I when I think about this subject in the context of church, even in the work that we do, one of my biggest pushes when when I have the opportunity to go speak in churches is I think one of the reasons we're in the space we're in right now with hypersexualized marketing and porn you know average age of viewing now is eight and you know the erectile dysfunction drugs are now being prescribed at alarming rate for 20 somethings Mm -hmm. because they have watched porn from eight to 20 something and now they've rewired their brain and so on and so forth Mm -hmm. we don't talk about these issues in the church with those kinds of words all we do is we say don't do it Mm -hmm. and and we don't bless like you've said this aspect of 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 god that he is but in us like our sexuality is a gift from God. God created sex um, and in the context of pleasure. And so I, I think that people ask, well, why can't I masturbate? And then they're told not to in the church because we just don't want to talk about it. We're just afraid <laughs> to. And, yeah. and if we do, then we need to separate and we need to put the men over here and then we need to do the women over here. When I do conferences... I want men and women in the room. Come on, yeah. Because otherwise, how can if we're adults, okay, yes, we don't need a five-year-old in there when we're talking about commercial sex, probably, because when I talk about it, I talk about it pretty upfront. But men and women can sit in the same room together. And so when we think about the church and sexuality, that's where I think we've got to see some reform mm. because the purity thing didn't work. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> you set people up for failure that are in therapy today because of what they were taught in high school. And many walked away from yeah. the faith completely. And Absolutely. were harmed and abused and, and rightfully are mm-hmm. valid. I mean, yeah, you, you do walk away when you've been raped by someone who's holding power, mm-hmm. you know, over mm-hmm. your head. Yeah. And, and you're right. Yeah, you mentioned it earlier. You have all these, you know, these pastors who are, even in the Catholic Church, you have them talking about, um, you know, the idea that priests don't have sex, the celibacy, you have them now speaking, is celibacy, is, a, is it becoming harmful? Mm, I mean, wow, have we yeah. taken something that was God divinely inspired and we've said no to it? Mm-hmm. Is that right for everyone? Mm-hmm. Or is it right for certain people? You know, Paul owned that and that was his thing. But that didn't mean that he expected that for everyone Mm-hmm. That would read and it also writings. doesn't mean so, we even interpreted lots of Paul's writings the right way. Yeah, uh, you know, right. Well, then there's also that. controversial <laughs> opinion. <laughs> it, you know, Paul says it's better to marry than burn with passion. <laughs> really, <laughs> really, it's better to get married to someone so you can mm. have sex and end up in a relationship that perhaps you never mm. should be in. Because you couldn't, you couldn't contain your urges. I'm very curious about mm-hmm. some of Paul's stuff. I'm like, mm, this stuff seems yeah. kind of whack, and I know that's that's gonna ruffle a lot of feathers because it's like, oh, the Bible's mm-hmm. inerrant, and you know, all scriptures God breathed. And I'm like, 
I don't know. I need to know more of what was the heart and context of that because I think we're living in a time where people married rather than quote unquote burning mm. with passion. And I mean, that right. didn't work either. So our, you're going to have to listen to our first podcast right before yours for Women's History Month because mm-hmm. you... You're, you're going to love her. Her name's Beth Barr, and mm. she's a historian at Baylor University, and she's blowing up the making of biblical mm. womanhood and how it became gospel truth, and it is actually the most anti-scriptural, anti-biblical, and a whole chapter is dedicated to how we've interpreted Paul incorrectly. It Come on. Also, Paul's like super prideful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I think really? <laughs> I, I, I think I have a new way of reading him. I think I have, like, after listening to her, there's a lot that we've interpreted, again, like you said, through these 2,000 years where sentences were divided up, question marks weren't put on, Mm -hmm. some things were sarcastic. Like, really? It's better to marry than burn? Did he he write it? Which way did he write it? It's better to marry than burn? Mm -hmm. Or can you not control yourselves? Is it better to marry than burn? I mean, we don't... There's so much that he was asking in a... Well, he was asking in the context of that particular yes. culture. And she actually dives into what was going uh-huh. on culturally, which was almost like, oh. You've I, heard you know, it said I didn't know this. That. But Christ says yeah. we're all one. Right. There's no male or female, mm-hmm. you know, slave or free. And so anyway, it's um I, I think I think that is a really interesting point to be made. And yeah in this whole conversation is, is how we yeah. are reading these scriptures. Are we in, are we reading them for the spirit to teach mm-hmm. us for us uh, to have agency in our relationship with God? Like you said, his ego is not, or God's ego is not fragile. Um, and that mm-hmm. we can ask these questions yeah. in a relationship with mm-hmm. the divine. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something that's also important to ask when we are examining scripture, when we're examining narratives that we've believed as truth is who's benefiting mm-hmm. from this belief and who's suffering yeah. from this belief. Oh. And a lot of what we've been talking about is the people who have benefited from a lot of these beliefs are the people yeah. in power. And the people who have suffered most are mm-hmm. the vulnerable and the oppressed and 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 our a lot of our our current conversation women have been really oppressed by this message and who was in charge who was in mm-hmm. all those decision making rooms it was mm-hmm. only men and we all suffer we all suffer when women are kept mm-hmm. out of decision making men rooms. and and white men we all suffer that, right men and white men mm-hmm. were at those we all know. suffer yeah feeling uncomfortable <laughs> But look, the problem is always part of the solution Mm -hmm. if we want to get anywhere. And so that's why Mm -hmm. I think, Brett, you are such a force for good in this work. And it's it's why Mm -hmm. your your seat in this conversation and in our organization is so important because you get to leverage that power for good, you know. Right. And it's right. It moves us along. That's the goal. That is the goal. Oppression stops when the voice of the oppressor. That's right. makes amends. Hmm. So it's like, you know, women are shouting, ah, you know, this is, hello, hello, uh, people of color yeah. in our country. Hello, yeah. Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. When 
white men in power start shouting from the rooftops that Black Lives yeah. Matter, we're going to see a world of change yes. in our country. So when the voice of the oppressor starts making amends is when things, when the, when the, when the mm-hmm. table there you turns, go. <laughs> when the tides start to turn, yeah. when the ship turns. So yeah, the work that you're committed to, Brett, is mm-hmm. inspiring. You are a pioneer. You are a trailblazer. And you're on the right side of history. <laughs> Thank God. Um, okay, so tell us you, your new book. We've talked about a lot of things that you're going to cover in it. So when does it come out? Tell us what yeah. it's called. I have to say, when I read the title, I was a little bit like, oh, is it going to be another, like, how to how to be abstinent and, like, you know, just shut our, shut our sexuality down? I really, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I just didn't know until I read the cover mm-hmm. and I read the, a, a little more of the content about what it was going to be about. Mm-hmm. So tell us. Yeah. Oh, well, man, maybe we need to change <laughs> no. up our marketing strategy. Way to go, babe. Um, Way to totally Well, just no, like, you know, book. I knew it was a reference to sex in the city, but then sex, sexless. So the book is called sexless in the city. So I thought, well, mm-hmm. she's going to talk about abstinence. Mm, interesting. You are oh. the first person who has okay. given me that well, feedback, which it's super okay. helpful. Well, don't don't um, take it from me. I'm just a married woman over. No, here. I I'm always I'm always open to every sort of feedback, always. So my book is called Sexless in the City. You can learn more about it. See my awesome new book trailer that yeah. is just coming out. I'm super proud of it at sexlessinthecitybook.com. And essentially it's the culmination of a lot of this journey for me, the book starts off with me at a crossroads in my life on the heels of this bad breakup and with my virginity hanging on by a thread. What do I believe about God? What do I believe about sex? Do, what does the Bible say? Do I care what the Bible says? What are the implications for the narratives that I've held as truth? How do I figure out what truth is? What does science say? What does experience say? What does research say? And so the book is really, it's, it's, set, it's broken up into three distinct sections, deconstruction, reconstruction, and the practical with the goal of wh- wherever you are relationally single, married, whether you're a Christian or as far from Christian as possible, the, my heart is to equip you with the tools to develop a healthy sexual mm. ethic. So first, in order before we move forward and get to the practical, I have to know how mm-hmm. I got here. What beliefs do I hold and why? Where did those beliefs come from? What did I learn from church, school, religious institutions, culture, peers, friends, home? And then reconstruct which of those narratives are rooted in fear, which of them mm-hmm. are rooted in freedom. What does science say, research, all of that? And then from there, how do I want to show up in my life, in my sexual encounters, so that in any encounter I have, I can show up with wholeness, clarity, Mm. and agency? Wow. I can't wait to read it. I'm really excited just because, Mm. you know, we, a lot of our staff is single or are single. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I know that your experience is going to give, um, just so much strength and so much hope. Um, and I think not just to those who are single, but I also think for those of us who are married, who are still sexuality and and just pleasure and all of those things are ongoing. Our bodies are changing. Our minds are constantly being renewed. Our, 
you know, all of our culture's changing. And so I just think it's an important invitation for us to kind of rethink how we got here. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to read yeah. it. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Where does it, when does it come out? You said oh, April, 20th. April 20th. Okay. 420 hey. National Weed Day. 420. <laughs> I was like, y'all know that that's National Weed Day. They were like, people don't still celebrate that, that do you? That's do they? hilarious. I was like, well, you guys are living under a rock, but yes. So, how fun. Grab my book. <laughs> grab a cup of coffee yeah, or grab whatever. Grab a cup of coffee, whatever. <laughs> they get some right. CBD oil or something right. in there. Put it under your tongue. That's awesome. Oh. But yeah. So, and then if you grab it earlier, you can, um, I have some free resources. If you pre-order it, you can go to sexlessinthecitybook.com, pre-order, and then you'll get like a gob of free goodies. I have a resource guide, so journaling prompts for every okay. chapter that I will give you. I give you the two first two chapters for free and then like discounts to my shop. Are you and doing all of that. any kind? So, I mean, can you do book tours yet? Like can you do all that? Everything is okay. online, so I'm doing I think 150 oh, interviews in the wow. next month. So that, hence the throat wow. coat and my. You guys can't see this because you're not on video, but I've been spraying my throat what? with yeah, sore throat spray all, all conversation. That, uh-huh, the, oh. Yeah, and, yeah, and 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 as we wrap things up, I just want to say that I wrote down the numbers three, four, and eight at the very, very beginning. Uh-huh. And I have resolved my answer as to your Enneagram you number. Eight? You are an eight. <laughs> Final answer? Okay. Yes. You can't tell that I'm raising my eyebrows because of my <laughs> Botox, but I am. Yes. I am an Enneagram ah! three. Bam. What the That's hell? That's awesome. Listen. I did an, a whole eight-hour workshop yeah. with Ian Chronicle like you years chameleon. ago now. <laughs> I'm just let me be the poster child. I thought I was a one. I thought I was a one or yeah. eight for a really long time, but every single damn time, I've probably taken the test wow. twenty times because I'm like, I'm not a three. Threes are <laughs> disgusting. Yeah, and every single time, I even try to change up my answers wow. so as not to be wow a three. <laughs> Do you do you know what your subtype is? I don't. I don't. Wow. Know All right. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Well, maybe you need to oh do some more work. Oh my gosh. And maybe you maybe you will once you yeah, do, maybe what? you need to do more work. What? <laughs> I mean, here's Hashtag the thing. Eight. The reason why I've always thought I was an eight. I mean, I get a fire lit under my ass for the yeah. underdog. Well, I hey, we know like those justice really matters. But I to know me. a lot of threes, and they are. Most of them are involved in some level of community capacity mm-hmm. building, going for, I mean, yeah, I think of John Singletary, yeah. I think of Jen Hatmaker, I think of um, our friend who That's works true. for an anti-trafficking org, um, man, mm-hmm. educator, yeah, you, you threes are doing some mm-hmm. cool stuff. Also, this is a fun, maybe traumatizing <laughs> fact, but I am in a a group, uh, kind of a little mastermind with a couple other authors, and we're all going. We're all mm. launching our book at the same time. <laughs> all oh of us are three. Goodness, and three out of four of us are children of addicts. Yeah. Wow. I'm like, oh well, so we're just performing and proving ourselves. Wow, to the world. great. <laughs> I whoa. <laughs> 
That's isn't pretty... that kind of you and know. who's who's whose book's gonna win? Oh, science. <laughs> oh, you know. I mean, even today, I was like, "How many pre-sales did you get? <laughs> what number are you at so I can beat it?" <laughs> but that's also why I thought I was a one for a long time because I set the bar and then I achieved the bar. Well, I must be a failure because I set the bar too low. Mm. So let me just keep because. I was a collegiate mm. athlete, and so a lot of collegiate athletes. What did you play? I was there a tennis player. For reals, where at? University of North All Texas, right. Gomez Green. Very Let's good. go. Well, I would say that um, I would say that ones have a pretty hard time following through on their own initiative. I've been trying to kind of write oh, a book proposal for about two years. <laughs> and so oh, dang, it's girl. and it's it's a push pull because everyone else's kind of needs. And the good thing mm-hmm. to do, it's just, yeah. But, yeah, we're, we're yeah. making some progress. But all that to say, it's a telltale I sign. I, I, I so yeah. lean heavily on some of my three friends just for inspiration mm-hmm. on how to execute. You guys yeah. execute really, really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I will tell you that the book proposal was just as hard as writing <laughs> the actual book. And everyone told me that. And my book proposal took me almost six wow. months full time, which is exactly how much it took me to do wow. my first draft. So book proposal yeah. is no joke. Wow. Yeah. So. Well, Kat, you are right, you're a gift and you are a big yeah. invitation and permission for us to rethink a lot of the things that we've been um, handed. And I just, I can't wait for women to listen to this on our Women's History Month podcast series. So we are so thankful to know you and you're right down the road. Like, let's get together sometime. The reason yeah. I asked about your book let's proposals because we have the cutest bookshop here locally called Fabled. And... That we had oh. Scott Erickson in right when he moved to Austin for his Advent series. You should totally—it's it could be a very socially distant, safe um, book soiree. Um, little wine, little cheese, little—you know—we got a lot of singles here, and we got a lot of people who'd be really. Yeah, you do. Y'all, y'all got that Wake, that Waco Baylor. You got the what is it? The Antioch oh, Church yeah. over there. They're a big so. one. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm definitely I'm making that okay. follow. That sounds good. Thanks for joining us. Right. Thanks so much for having me, guys. So this was so great. So fun. Thanks for joining us. We hope this episode brought some light to your own story and hope for your journey. Make sure to subscribe and leave a comment. For more info on our work, visit JesusSaidLove.com. Until next time. Share the love.